Uh, welcome to Emmaus Way. Glad you're here. Please grab something to drink or eat and find your way to a seat. We're going to try to get started here this evening. Third Sunday of Epiphany, and we've got a shorter Emmaus Way as we move into our Ecclesia meeting afterwards. So glad you could make it. And I uh, want to get started with a song that's uh, one that many of you know, uh, Mission of My Soul, which is on our Right 7 project. And Peter Himmelman's song. We're going to do a couple of Peter Himmelman this evening. Beside you, I'm there for you wherever you go. When you're hungry, I'll satisfy you. That's the mission of my soul. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you're just getting the hang of this, I'll do this first verse again for you. When you need me, I'll stand beside you. I'll live for you, wherever you go. When you're hungry, I'll satisfy you. That's the mission of my soul, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Need confession? I'm there to listen. When you're crossing the ocean, I've got a boat to row. When you need attention, your audience won't be missing. That's the mission of my soul, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the mission of my soul. Gonna take care of you, You bet now You're unsure I'm gonna let you know I'll say baby Don't trouble your head now That's the mission Of my soul Yeah Yeah That's the mission Of my soul That's the mission of my soul. 
weekend plans You need a partner I'm your man Tell me when do we go Be my flower I'll be your gardener That's the mission, mission of my soul, yeah That's the mission of my soul, oh Mission of my soul Yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, that's the mission of my soul gonna take care of you now I'm always gonna remember that I'm gonna love you to the end, baby Yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the mission of my soul Mission of my soul Greetings everybody, I'm Tim and it's a big welcome to Emmaus Way. It's good to see everybody here this evening. Uh, we say this uh, regularly, but Emmaus Way is a community of people that uh, would never say we've figured out this whole thing about trying to follow God and to live missionally in this community, but that's what we try to do. And we gather each week in lots of ways. Uh, we gather in this space on Sunday evenings with the purpose of hearing each other's voice, interpreting text together, um, discerning what God is doing redemptively in, in our community and in this greater space and, and working and serving together. And we also gather each week at the table to uh, embody uh, the, the blessing, the resurrection, the, the coming of Christ, the gifts that God has given us. So it's always great to see everybody. And um, if you are um, somebody who's fairly new to Emmaus Way, we want to make sure that you feel welcome. Uh, this is a community where you can kind of be, and you also don't have to wait like two years before you can get involved in something as well. So we're excited about that. We do have a lot of um, smaller groupings of, of, in fact, we just did this survey um, last, I guess, th three or four months ago that Sarah Kate did for us. And one of the best things we saw on that, that's most of the people at Emmaus Way said that they saw and connected with Emmaus Way people three to four times a week. So we have a variety of home groups and I don't see Elizabeth Eford. Is Elizabeth around? Um, you can have it. She's not here, but there's Dave, that's her husband. So um, she's uh, kind of our connection point. And Dan over here is our connection to, uh, to pub group on Thursday nights. So if you're interested in connecting in any of those ways, as well as missional things, uh, please uh, feel invited to do so. Hey, tonight is a special night for us, so we're going to do the gathered worship version of Emmaus Way in about an hour or so. Um, once a quarter, we gather as a community to do what we call Ecclesia, which is a, a, a community conversation about life at Emmaus Way. We've got lots of great things to mention about kind of our last several months together. So here's what the plan is for tonight. We'll meet here from 5 to 6. And then from six to uh, roughly around six o'clock, pizza will arrive and we'll eat pizza. And then we'll have about an hour conversation between.
between 6.15 and 7.15. So you'll actually get out of here uh, probably if you go out to dinner normally and get home uh, normally with that. So, hey, here's the scoop. If you're, if you're staying, we're excited. If you're new, there'll be a great way to get a little bit of a taste of Emmaus Way. But if you can't stick around, please still invite, feel invited to stay and have pizza. Uh, what we do is if you have a buck or two to throw in the plate for pizza, great. If not, we don't really care. So, um, if, um, so um, please stay and eat, even if you need to, to take off or so. And Mr. Mr. Eford back here is kind of doing our, he's our pizza, you've become our pizza guru now. You're like an expert in this. Uh, so did you want like just a, a hands up of the number of people who are going to stay tonight and do pizza? So if you're hanging out for the meeting or just for pizza, um, do a, do a show of hands. Fantastic. Thanks for doing that, Dave. Hey, um, a couple of things mission-wise um, that I wanted to update you on is um, one of our big partnerships is Durham Can, which is a local grassroots political organizing group. It's faith-based that is nonpartisan, works in, in Durham in the extended community and all over North Carolina with a group called North Carolina Power on a variety of issues of justice. And one of the things to be aware of is coming up soon, um, we will be doing a house meeting, which we'll be doing all over, uh, all over Durham. Uh, different groups will be doing that to discuss issues that need to, to come up. So Dan is usually our conduit for that. Dan, you'll keep us wired in for when the next house meeting is. There's, and then, yes? There's also the, uh, there's the possibility if you want to go through the training, the kind of leadership training that CAN offers this weekend. We've got two people who are going to be there, I believe. Uh, Dave Klein and Jacob um, Levin's going to be there as well. But um, there's still places open if you'd like to join us. Um, it'll be in the morning here in Durham. Um, and if you're interested in organizing or what CAN does at all, it's a good way to kind of Right. And there's other, there's also a meeting I'm going to meet with the, the, I think the new, the school, um, superintendent this week, there's folks doing that. So there's a variety of things happening in that area. And truly one of the things that we want you to do as a part of life in Emmaus way is share the things that you're committed to the things that you're doing. And as well, we want to make sure that you're well aware of our partnerships and the things that we do in the community, because it's really one of the great values of this community is to, is to serve together. So um, so anyway, those are some of the things that are happening at Emmaus Way. And again, we'll, you'll feel a little bit more of a, a rapid pace this evening as we get through and get ready for Ecclesia. But I'm looking forward to, to talking about our community and, and life, life in Emmaus Way. Yeah, thanks, Tim. And uh, as we continue our conversation about um, a spiritual autobiography, I wanted to do a song. Um, Last week I was actually doing this in soundcheck and uh, several of the folks setting up were like, man, you got to do that song. And I thought, you know, it's actually a, a great song for our spiritual autobiography. I, I was uh, in eighth grade and ninth grade. I lived in Canada, in London, Ontario. 
And uh, my dad was working as a pastor in a church there. And um, so uh, the eighth grade music teacher was just really into Gordon Lightfoot. And so he made us sing a number of Gordon Lightfoot songs I don't think my parents were too appreciative of, actually. Uh, if you know Sundown, um, about a prostitute, that was one of the songs we had to learn. Um, I think my parents frowned on that. Um, but this song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, was one that I felt like was particularly poignant. It's about a uh, ship that sunk in um, Lake Superior in the 70s. And um, I think this idea that we've been talking about, about lament, and where lament and praise have places in our lives, um, like the Psalms and like uh, Larry talked about, I think this song does a good job. Um, there's a couple lines in particular that I know I've related to where... Um, later in the song, it says, Does anyone know where the love of God goes when the waves turns the minutes to hours? And I think we have these seasons in our lives where whether it's waves or other things, we just think, man, I don't, just, where is God's love in this situation? And so uh, anyway, it's a long song uh, that uh, has repetitive verses, so feel free to jump in as you catch it.
coming in And the good ship and crew was in peril Later that night when his lights went out of sight Came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours the searchers all say they'd have made whitefish bay if they put 15 more miles behind her might have split up or they might have capsized they may have broke deep into water and all that remains is the faces and the names of the wives and the sons and the daughters Sings in the rooms of her ice water mansion. Well, Michigan steams like a young man's dreams. The islands and bays are for sportsmen. Far below Lake Ontario takes in what Lake Erie can send her. The iron boats go as the mariners all know with the gales of November. Remember. In the Maritime Sailor's Cathedral The church bell chimed till it rang 29 times For each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down Of the big lake they called Ichigumi Superior they said never gives up her dead What year was that song? Um, I'm not sure. I 78, 79, something. I was thinking. Like that. I almost had an AM radio flashback on that one. Yeah, it uh, was. Def- I mean, yeah, AM radio was the big rock radio at that time. FM had not come on, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The uh, it's interesting. One of the things in, in this whole vein of storytelling that um, th- this this winter I'm in this kind of crazy cycle. I'm preaching at a church in Raleigh for about seven or eight weeks. So. I'm, doing that in the morning and then I'm consulting with a couple of other churches and it's really interesting in, in both of those settings um, 
the, the idea of telling your story and giving space for woundedness and lament is is really hard to, to do that. I was sitting in a worship planning meeting and, and the, you know, the conversation kept going, well, that's not up enough. And that's, that's, that's not interesting enough. And that's not exciting enough. And I thought, you know, one of the things that I, I think is important for us when we gather in worship is to tell the full range of our stories. So again, part of this whole idea of storytelling is to invite our community to make it a habit in relationship and in gathered relationship to tell the whole breadth of our stories. Uh, because in many ways, some Sometimes there's, um, even in tragedy, there's a greater sense at times to see the work of God and see the, the movement of God in the world that we're in. So that's, that's well done. Uh, plus reminding me of my childhood. Work, so <laughs> that's good. Hey, um, Julie DeCanto is going to come for a moment. Um, one of the things, and this is, this is what you call sneaking it under the wire, but uh, often on Ecclesia nights, we talk about things that we really want to develop in as a community. And I've learned that sometimes we have to say things two or three times before we, we me, we get around to making some things happen. But one of the things that, that we really have wanted to do is to be much more organized and much more persistent and much more intentional in terms of our missional partnerships and our missional lives telling the stories because I know one of the things that bonds Emmaus Way together is that a lot of you do things that perhaps no one even knows about as well as a lot of you professionally what you do what you study um, where you work, all of those things are, are missional expressions of your faith. And so I had talked about either the last ecclesia or a couple back uh, about the idea of really getting some folks to help us lead in missional storytelling. And uh, Julie approached me um, a month or two ago and said you had some interest in that. So Julie, why don't you hop up here and grab the mic and just talk about some of the things you've been thinking about. Um, well, a lot of this comes from just the more I get involved in this community and get to know people, realizing we're doing a lot to, as a community to help the world, the broken world, and realizing that we need an avenue to highlight those stories and just a place to, to share those with one another. And part of it is so we feel like the tiny little dents we're doing are actually impacting the world and you don't feel so lonely in your tiny dent, you know? So, so part of, I mean, the first step is just collecting stories and also realizing, um, I mean, knowing a lot of your stories too and calling upon you to be a part of the Sunday discussions and, um, and realizing, I mean, one thing that we've talked a lot about is that we're, we're not capable of giving more time than what we already give or giving more. I mean, it feels like, you know, when someone gets up and says, you know, here's my story and this is where I give my time and this is how you can be a part of it. Sometimes it feels like, oh, it's such a drag. I can't be a part of that. But the whole concept is because we're a community and we care about each other and we, um, you know, when we're sharing these stories, we're actually a part of it just by listening and loving each other and being in community. So that's kind of what I hope to do is help um, help Tim kind of be the liaison between your stories and getting them up front along with, yeah. So along with also encouraging you and hopefully you'll learn about some new things too just through this process of what you can get involved in if you want. Thank you. Oops. Thank you, Julie.
And Julie represents one of the partnerships that's really valuable to us, Reality Ministries. She's the, the lead guru S uh, administrator here in terms of, uh, of, of making things happen in reality. And so this is a, another conduit for that. And, and there's a lot of folks here. It's been exciting to watch the number of folks who have... Um, who've begun to volunteer in our host and, and their life here. AJ did an internship here with them all of last year as a part of his Duke Divinity work. And so, again, that's a, another position that Julie's in in terms of being near to one of the things that's, that's really dear to us. So please don't hesitate. She's going to get some word out, and we're going to develop that some. But don't hesitate to uh, tell the stories of, of kind of your missional life. And remember, that might be something professional. And sometimes when we even use that, term, people are quick to dismiss the things that they do community-wise in terms of how they relate to the lives of, of people around them, whether that's providing food or helping people with um, moving or, or any of the things that you guys do so wonderfully as a part of this community. So thank you, Julie, for, for being willing to do that. Um, now, I want to remind you, next week we're going to be wrapping up kind of this series on, on spiritual storytelling. And I'm going to tell a couple of brief stories tonight. Um, but here's the ask again. I really want to, I think Amy's going to be one of our storytellers next week. But uh, there's space for a couple of other people, two or even three more people to tell a little bit of, of, of their story. And, and, and in some ways, what we've tried to do is even come up with a gimmick that might help you do that in the sense of, um, so I, I brought um, five objects last week, this crazy, this doorknob, this, I'm not sure what this is. This is kind of a, a mirror hairbrush weapon. <laughs> but but uh, uh, And then the bungee cord and an empty cup and a candle, uh, just as something that might spur you to think about stories or components or aspects of your life that you want to think about um, uh, spiritually, how this relates to your part in God's story, how it, it, it relates to in some way uh, God's work in and around your life. And so... Um, so those objects are a guide. And as well, Larry's here tonight. Larry spoke last week, which was really fantastic. He has uh, is a spiritual director. And I hope, Larry, I don't know how you feel about this, but when you spoke last week, one of the things I thought one of the best outcomes for this would be if a, a couple people kind of approached you for spiritual direction and, and that kind of guidance. And, and one of our agendas in this that's, that's not a hidden agenda at all is that we want to train each other to, to be able to call up each other's stories and tell our own stories as a part of the friendship life of, of uh, Emmaus Way. But Larry's done some great work on helping people tell their stories. And so we were thinking in terms of, and catch me if I get this wrong, Larry, but you raised the idea of thinking about the events in our lives, the communities in our lives, the persons in our lives, and there's one more, and I and the places in our lives. And so this is one of the things I want to solicit is as you think of that kind of, now it's kind of a matrix of places, communities, people, or, or these kind of objects that, uh, was, that was actually Dan's clever idea of, of using objects to kind of force us to reflect into uh, places and, and things like that. We'd love to, to make this space available for a few people to tell stories next week. So if you'd like to do that, the best way to do it is to catch me either tonight or drop an email 
yourself to me at uh, Tim at Emmausway.net and we'll, you know, until we, you know, if we get like 500 people, then we'll, uh, we'll have like an extra long, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll be fine. So anyway, uh, we want to make that invitation. So I wanted to just use these objects and Larry's questions to tell a couple things tonight, just to kind of maybe give an idea. And the one that came to mind, this doorknob is, um, has been the focus of a great deal of profanity in our uh, family's life in the last month or so in the sense that we our house has uh, is is shifts a great deal and so we've enjoyed the winter where several of our doors are not closing very well and and at some point we just like we have got to we've got to deal with this doorknob and eventually it just quit working and it was so bad that we uh, this door wasn't working and our front door doesn't lock and close very well so we didn't want to open that so I think we were practically throwing the kids out one of the back windows to go to school at one point so we finally got this doorknob which was uh, somehow attached to the door in a way that it didn't want to come off out but so I've been looking at it it's been sitting by our door for about three weeks and I grabbed it and one of the things that this doorknob reminds me of in terms of my own story is the geography of our stories and particularly geography related to opportunities. I think one of the greatest weaknesses that I have is that I have tremendous difficulty saying no to an opportunity. If somebody asks me to do something, then I, I mean, like this month, preaching at another church and consulting with two other staff. I mean, I just, if people ask, I tend to do it. And so I, I've tried to learn and reflect a little bit of how do I process opportunities and, and particularly it seems like the geographical opportunities have been the most challenging for me. For example, when, when Mimi and I first started um, kind of in the ministry life, we were in seminary up in, in Boston in a place called Gordon-Conwell. And I was hired at what was really a mega church. I mean, it was a, you know three or 4,000 people to, to do youth ministry. And one of the things that they approached us with, and we knew that this, we knew that this was going to, we were being treated prejudicially in a good way, meaning we were being offered something that others were not being offered. But they wanted their youth pastor to, to live close to the, the, the church community so kids could come over and all those type of things. And so I very much kind of in that American dream mentality thought, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it just be the greatest thing in the world to be able to own a home in, you know, before we were 25 years old? And so they offered this kind of housing policy type of thing where, um, where they would kind of cover a big portion of the down payment if we would make the payments on the house. They really wanted us to live close to the church. And so um, we, well, we is a really poor word at this point. <laughs> I was all into this. I mean, because it was just, and, and, and you're going to chuckle at this, that this was a community uh, near Lexington and Concord, Massachusetts. This was high cotton, but high cotton back in those days meant that there were no homes in, in Lexington or Concord under $200,000 now. And now, you know, this was 1980-whatever. I mean, there's none under $600,000 probably in Concord now. But 
I, I, against even Mimi's suggestion, he said, you know, we don't, just because they want us to own a home doesn't mean that we have to own a home. You can do ministry without living in the town that they want you to live in. But for me, I was, so, it seemed so exciting. It seemed like a goal to me, but it was a, an interesting goal overlay because it, it wasn't something that was necessarily a part of our calling, but it was something I think that made me feel pretty grown up. And so we bought this home and it was, it was, you know, it was a wonder what we used. It. it was a phenomenal home. But if you can imagine, it was kind of the, the, the blue shingled uh, two bedroom with a leaning carport kind of house that was in this community of, you know, really, really nice homes. And, and we loved it. But when we got ready to move to Chapel Hill about three years later, the Boston market uh, and you know, th- there's that axiom that you know the housing market you never lose in the housing market. And Boston's market was such a skyrocketing success. Uh, in fact, if you're, any of you are old enough to even remember remotely the idea of the Dukakis miracle that led to his uh, Democratic uh, nomination for for president, the Boston housing. Par- prices had just gone all through the roof. Well, we bought at the very highest month. And then when we got this job offer to come to Chapel Hill, the market just imploded. It it had just gone down to the point of where at one point we were getting offers for about 40% of the price of our house. And so we were thinking, oh my gosh. And you know, some of you, I don't know, you, you guys are mainly young, and so you know the idea that the first time you invest a bunch of money to lose a bunch of money is not an exciting thing to do. And so we were down here trying to sell this house, which we couldn't sell, and our church. And you know, in, in your early experiences with church life, I know some of you have already had these experiences, sometimes it's not always positive. So our, our church had written this policy of if you, um, if the price of the house went up um, $100,000, they would get 75% of it because they had put down 75% of the down payment. But, uh, and then implied if it went down a certain amount, they would jump in. But when it had gone down, they said, no, we didn't mean it, and you're really leaving. <laughs> and so there wasn't a whole lot of leverage to be able to say, you know, that wasn't phenomenally honest. And so for us, our, our first kind of experience was being in Chapel Hill and going, my gosh, we, we, we may not be able to pay our bills because of this investment. Now, looking back on this, there's an aspect of who I am spiritually that can play its way out over lots of things is I've found that when I am willing, prayerfully willing, to pray over both sides of a question, there's often decent discernment. So if I had a job offer and I'm willing to really say, hey, I'll consider that, and I'll also consider saying no to that, I've often found that we make good decisions. But one of my faults is I am so eager that when it came to the house deal, even though Mimi was very wisely, and we actually have a family rule now that I never buy a house for the Condors. Mimi, <laughs> Mimi selects homes and most particularly handles the financial side of that, which ironically is the same rule that Dave Eford passed six years ago in the life of Emmaus Way. I quote him, Tim, you will never sign another lease again. <laughs> so you and Mimi have either talked or you've noticed a similar tendency of, of my business acumen but, but one of the things that, that 
I've thought about is why in certain circumstances am I willing to only pray over one side of an outcome? And a lot of that is deeply fear-driven for me, is that there's an opportunity there. And I'm so excited about the opportunity, but a part of me is thinking, I'll never get another opportunity like this again. If I don't say yes to that, if I don't write that, do this, jump on this, then... then um, you know, it'll never be there. It's fear-based. And in some way, there's this sense that my experience of God's grace comes in special moments rather than perpetuity. So when I'm not willing to face the other side of the equation, I'm basically willing to say, I don't think God would be gracious if, if we didn't buy this home, which would have been a great financial decision for us. Now, the flip side of this, and I think this is for me... Um, kind of part of where the idea of community comes in is that so many times if you let other people speak into your life, your deficits, and particularly your spiritual deficits, can be challenged. So I think, I, I've lost count, but I think about nine years ago, I got this huge job opportunity. And it's, it's hard to even explain why this was a big deal. But this was to be like the lead pastor totally in charge of this really hip church that, and, and it's hard to even explain why this was such a big deal, but it was down in Charlotte and they had bought this really trendy warehouse in a, in a part of town. It was, it had a staff of like seven or eight people. It had really done all the planting and hard work. And, and what was really hard about the job was the person that had done it previously, it had a huge meltdown, but I actually had some experience with meltdown. So I had some sense of confidence in standing into the meltdown side of ministry. But this job was such a big deal in kind of the emergent world that I was in that all that year I was going to conferences and speaking at events and I would bump into people from this church and they would literally, literally be besieged by 15 or 20. I mean, people would come up and say, you know, God has really told me that I'm probably your candidate. I mean, this was the job that people really, really wanted. At one point, I asked them how many applications they'd gotten, and it was four digits and climbing. Um, and so it felt so incredible to kind of get that job, to be the one thinking in the back of your mind, everybody's talking in my little pond about who is going to get that job. And I got an answer for you. It's me. <laughs> I'm going to get that job. And, and so... And the search process went on, and, 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 and in the process, um, there was some goofy things that happened. For one, I heard that they were asking, and this is a little embarrassing now because I'm, I'm near 50, but they were asking some friends of mine if, I, if they felt like I was a little too old for the job. <laughs> in fact, they asked a dear friend of mine, a guy named Brian McLaren, who is three years older than me about this, and he said, you know, I'm older than him, uh, and it, it, but, and then there were some kind of, you know, questions of, of image, like that, that, that I didn't look like I, I was short a tattoo, I think, or two and, and some, some, some good hair. Like if, if I'd have looked like Wade, I think I was in. And, and in fact, the first, first meeting that I had with their search committee, they, they, they came down and they said, dude. You don't have hair. <laughs> I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about hair. <laughs> Does that, listen, is that like, have you ever had an interview that began with a conversation about your hair? <laughs> and, and then I began to notice that um, 
They weren't asking a lot of questions about my family, even to the point I thought, you know, they're coming. <laughs> I mean, I think Mimi's going to come along and the kids are going to come along. Uh, but I, I, let me just say, I wanted this job. I mean, it, I mean, I wanted this job. I could taste this job. And um, over a prolonged search, a search that really should have been an eight-week kind of thing, but it, after 11 months, the offer was made. It was a really generous offer, and it was a, a, a wonderful deal. And our family started packing boxes. I mean, we were at the stage where we had a deadline to tell them, and, and I was kind of going to pray through this. But I remember the house buying story, and I remember where my fear lies. And so I went to a group of 20 friends. Denise was one of those friends, and Elizabeth was one of those friends, and, I, and, and maybe Dave, too. And, and Not Dave. I, I was, I'm still worried about you know, trying to tell you I signed a lease. Um, but, um, but I went to a group of friends and said, I'm not going to take this job unless you think it's a great idea. And that loss of control was, I mean, it's like... I mean, I want to tell, I want to, I want to email people and tell them that I've gotten this job, not hear from friends whether I should take it or not. And so, um, we packed our boxes, we listened, our friends gave kind of a tepid, yeah. Denise and I had a, a, a really interesting conversation about two days before I was supposed to tell them. And, and, and Denise said, you know, we could do something really fun in Durham. If, if, I mean, if this isn't the right thing, and I'm not saying it's the wrong thing, but we could do something. And, and so that was kind of rattling in my brain. And, and then Mimi stopped me the morning before D-Day and said, I don't know that I'm in there for this. I don't know that this is the right thing for us. I just want to, to imagine some things like where you would, and this, this was a trendy church. A lot of people live downtown, uh, but their incomes were going to be two or three times larger than, than my generous income. So we started thinking that out. And then all of a sudden it flashed to me the story of, of that house that we bought. And Mimi saying, you know, I'm not sure this is the greatest idea. And me not even letting her finish that sentence. This is awesome. We're buying the house. Um, and, and we paused and literally woke up the next morning and we weren't going. And I had to make this, I mean, this is an embarrassing conversation when you've implied that you're going to take a job for 10 months and then you're calling on the day to tell them, we're not coming to take this job. It was a very, very, very hard day. But I, but I give you that doorknob to say that geography has been huge for me, is whether it's talking to Denise about Durham and doing something that eventually became Emmaus Way or moving to another town or moving to another. Um, I got a call a couple months ago of somebody saying, hey, would you consider this? And I thought, oh my God, it's another geography question. Uh, but those have been the things that have forced me to face a portion of my story that, that I don't like which is the decisions that I've blown, but even more so the fears that have driven me to not consider what would God's grace be. And so I, I, I give that to you as, as just here on Ecclesia night, there's some great things to just talk and share about our community. And it's fun to sit here and think nine years later to, to realize that this community and the, all the things that have happened in the last seven years were a product of a process 
that was a part of my story that I had been prone to screw up regularly. And the solution was not more of me or me being better at me, though those are always good things to do, but it really was allowing a group of people to surround you and look at who you are and in that space and time. So I look forward to, to hearing some of your stories. Some of the things that have given you insight into who you are as God's created people and the things that get in the way of, of your understanding or knowing or experiencing the goodness that, that God is and God is around us. So it's a delight that Mimi's smarter than I. And uh, Wade, I think, is going to lead us in a time of, of confession and absolution. And Dan is going to take us to the table tonight. But one of the things that, that I would encourage you to be thoughtful of as we, as we live in this moment of storytelling is the whole idea of what are things, where, where is my fear? Uh, what are the things that I'm afraid of, of hearing and knowing? And in what ways am I fearful of, of being known by God? And then in absolution tonight, uh, embrace fully the, the, the grace and the love that God brings to us. Thank you for sharing that, Tim. I know that um, it's, it can be strange to um, be in front of a community a lot. Uh, but then to actually tell something so personal and, and something where you can kind of say, yeah, I, I didn't really make the decision the way I wanted to and it had um, impacts on my life. And I think it's interesting that instead of Scripture being stories of just heroes doing things that were awesome, there's so much failure in Scripture. And um, Peter Himmelman wrote this song, Crushed, um, on a record called Strength to Strength. And uh, it was a record that he based on a psalm and um, so our uh, way that we do the rhythm of confession and absolution begins with this, this song, Crushed, which I think you'll appreciate. You don't dance with your broken bones. You don't sing. When you're all alone You don't fly When the air's so thin And all this weight Is closing in Hey, this is the taste of freedom Yeah, this is how it feels Fate picks you Crush beneath the wheels Crush beneath the wheels Crush beneath the wheels And all the things you've learned this far Could not have prepared you Take your compass, face the east To the ruins of the temple, the wrath of the beast Hey, I said the evening is falling Like a hundred tons of steel For now and then we get Crush beneath the wheel 
If I could do it, we'd gladly bear your pain. But I know anything I do would be in vain. You must believe me when I say this all will pass. But for the moment, your heart must feel like glass. This is the taste of freedom Yeah, this is how it feels When faith picks you to get Crushed beneath the wheels Oh yeah, crushed beneath the wheels Crushed beneath the Treasure that 
Well, as Tim reminded us tonight, there's nothing quite like a good friendship of Christians to screw up your life. There's nothing quite like a group of people who take their faith seriously to encourage you to make some really bad decisions. You see, there is a dominant story in our world. We've been hearing it all week. It's a dominant story of how we're going to get ourselves out of the poopy shape that we're in. We're going to, and these are the words of our president, we're going to out-innovate. We're going to out-work. We are going to out-educate all the other countries of the world. And that, my friends, is how we are going to control the future. That is how we are going to control the future. And I can only imagine that within that broader story, what stories actually count? What stories actually have a place? My guess is that those are only stories of comparison. As I look at myself compared to my neighbor, how big is my house? What kind of car do I drive? How much money is in my pocket and how much is in my neighbor's? That only so insofar as I'm getting ahead of everyone else, does my story really count? Only insofar as the way that I can show that I'm contributing or I'm making a dent in history, does my story actually have worth? But tonight, as we gather around the table, we all confess something foolish. Something extremely foolish. It is something that takes new vision to see, as we just sung. It's something that says, actually, the most important stories in our world are not the stories about getting ahead. They are not the stories about great leaders who take on the troubling things of our times. The most important stories, the most significant story, is actually the small communities of our world, just like this one, that are gathering around the broken body of Christ. That the most significant things that are going on right now are not our ability to out-innovate, our ability to out-compete those around us, but they are, in fact, our ability or our opportunity to find our lives interrupted by the grace of God. To find our lives require giving up control. To find that only as we gather together, not looking at one another, thinking about how we are in competition with one another, but how we might share the mutual love of, gra mutual love of Christ and the grace of God in our lives, that something actually Cosmi, cosmically significant takes place. That here at the table, the types of stories that connect to, the, to that larger story actually are, are welcome. They're invited in. That a whole new realm of the stories of our lives are open for discussion, for love, and for connectivity. 
Now, at Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, meaning all of you are invited to this table. We gather up here, breaking bread for one another, saying the body of Christ broken for you, and pouring wine or juice for one another, saying the blood of Christ shed for you. And we do that tonight, not as something that is simply an incidental practice, something that, well, you know, churches, I don't know why we do this, but churches have just been doing it. But we do it with the recognition that this seemingly insignificant practice, this seemingly insignificant gathering, you, me, seemingly insignificant human beings on this planet are actually invited into participating in the largest thing that is actually going on. And that we get to share that with one another and with our world. I invite you now to the table. Come, celebrate the body and blood of Christ given for you and for me and the grace of God born into our world. After the Eucharist, uh, we're all going to gather back in here and we'll celebrate benediction together before we move on to Ecclesia. Come now to the table. Amen. Actually, while you guys are taking communion, uh, in the interest of time, I want to go ahead and do our song of benediction. I want to look at your lyrics. It's a song called Lovers in a Dangerous Time, which uh, I think you all are. And we are. Don't the hours grow shorter as the days go by? Never get to stop and open your eyes. One day you're waiting for the sky to fall The next you're dazzled by the beauty of it all When your lovers dangerous time We are lovers dangerous time These fragile bodies of touch and taste this vibrant skin, this hair like lace Spirits open to the thrust of grace Never a breath you can afford to waste When your lovers dangerous 